What's up? Welcome to the Danny Picard Show. I should say welcome back to the Danny Picard Show. Thursday, April 9th, 2015. It is a Violent Gentleman Thursday. Every Thursday, the show presented by Violent Gentleman. Make sure you go to violentgentleman.com right now to order some of the hottest t-shirts, hoodies, hats, and accessories on the sports scene. From the ice to the octagon, from the ring to the field, Violent Gentleman honors the fight, the art, the opponent, and the sport. Violentgentleman.com. Well, I didn't lose my touch on the on the reads, on the on-air mentions, did I, Pete? Uh, I want to first and foremost today apologize uh, for not being here the last three days. Um, and more importantly, apologize to the mayor of Boston, Mayor Marty Walsh. He was supposed to be in studio on Monday, and in fact, he was all ready to go. I was all ready to go up until about, I don't know, 8 o'clock Sunday night. Now, let me let me tell you what happened. I was not here the last three days, and it's because I was hit pretty pretty hard with a terrible stomach virus. What, the, are we calling it the neurovirus? That's what... You know, all the doctors on Twitter seem to be calling it. I don't know if that's a real I don't know what it's called, but that's what people who think they've had it. You know, when you say you've had something, the good feeling is that then you hear that others have had it or others are just starting to get it as you get over it. So, you know, it's not something too serious where you won't recover from it. Uh, Not to, you know, not to want other people to get it and get sick, but you do feel good that you know, it's not anything crazy or unordinary. It's going around. You've caught something. And on Sunday night, look, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, I'm on WEEI, right, from 1 to 4. We did a good, had a good show there, talked a lot of opening day stuff. We recapped the uh, NCAA tournament, previewed the national championship game uh, on that uh, Sunday, Easter Sunday you know, we looked, again, I did a big Major League Baseball preview like I did here on this show last Friday. And um, I get home from the studio Sunday night from EEI, felt great, went home, uh, got some, some leftover ham, and I'm, I'm getting sick to my stomach just even saying that word right now and knowing what happened in the hours uh, ensuing. Um, man, yeah, that's, that's I, I don't. I'm never going to eat ham again. I don't like ham anyways, but you eat it, right? Because it's it's just like the Easter tradition, I guess. At least in my family, they make ham. So I had some leftover ham. I'm getting queasy just thinking about it. I'll finish up that part of the story. I ate it. I went home. I felt great. You know, getting ready for the ball game. Major League Baseball opening night. Sunday night baseball. Cubs, Cardinals, Lester, Wainwright. Can't wait. The next day, we got the mayor in studio. Then we got the Red Sox opening day. Uh, Buck Holtz, Cole Hamels in Philly. But that's the night before, around 7, 8 o'clock, I'm sitting on the couch. And I start just getting cold, you know? Just, just, getting, just getting chilly. I don't know what's wrong. And then I'm getting sick to my stomach. Now, I don't really throw up. I'm not someone that throws up, right? Takes an awful lot for me to throw up. I don't, I don't usually do it. I felt like I had a I had a puke, and I said to myself, "I don't throw up. I'm gonna fight this. I can beat this. 
I'm not going to run to the bathroom and throw up. I'm just, it's just not going to happen. Well, I got to a point where I had to run to the bathroom and throw up. And that's exactly what happened. And I'm sorry if that's disgusting, if you're eating while listening to this. But I'm telling a story as to why, you know, we did not, uh, why I, not we, I, everybody else was here but me. I did not show up um, for the mayor in studio, Mayor Marty Walsh, mayor of Boston, on Monday morning at 8 a.m. shop. I we had I have been trying to schedule this for the longest time. I finally was able to lock down a day and a time with the mayor to come in studio. It was I was jacked up about it. I was on a we were on a great roll on this show with guests, not just on the phone, but in studio. Last week we had Red Sox COO Sam Kennedy uh, in studio, and I wrapped up last week in my Major League Baseball predictions, and then Marty Walsh Monday, but. So I went, I, I got sick Sunday night, you know, I end up having to go right to bed about eight o'clock, you know, you end up waking up every half hour getting sick. I couldn't hold anything in my stomach. I just kept throwing up. Now, again, I'm someone that doesn't throw up. So I started to get really concerned, but I thought maybe I have some type of food poisoning. Well, I don't like ham anyways. So maybe, maybe this is just not sitting well with me right now. Um, but I also had the chills. I had, I was sweating. I had a fever. I started aching. I had, but it was every even sip of water that you took. It, you had to run. I had to run to the bathroom five minutes later. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I didn't cancel the interview with the mayor that night because I figured, all right, let's, there's still some time here. I could wake up in the morning and be fine. It could be a little food poisoning. Again, I don't throw up. I'm not going to keep throwing up till tomorrow. It's just not going to happen. Um, I woke up, I, I actually never really fell asleep for an extended period of time because I kept getting up every half hour to, to puke. At about 6 a.m., I called my producer, Pete Needham, who's sitting across from me right now here in the Beantown Athletic Studios on this Thursday afternoon, and uh, I called him, and I told him to reach out to Marty's people because, first of all, I couldn't type. I couldn't send an email. And it was probably pretty, it would have been a, a, a very unprofessional phone call, given the way that I, I was huffing and puffing on the phone. So, and it was very early, too. If we were going to cancel on 8 a.m., you know, to call someone at 5.30, 6 o'clock, and they're probably not awake yet. You don't want to cancel and wake them up earlier than they have to wake up. So, uh, I called Pete, so I woke Pete up, and I told Pete to call him. Now, Pete contacted the mayor's people, and told them we'd have to cancel, postpone. We hope the word is postpone. We'll wait and see. They did say they're going to reschedule with us, so that's good. They're not upset. And, and you know what? I can understand if they don't want to reschedule because you don't want to, you know, he's probably like, who the fuck is this kid canceling me, right? Like, what? are you kidding me? You're going to cancel the morning of? But I promise you, and to the people, the dickheads out there that want to keep saying to me, Oh, you stood up to mayor, huh, Danny? Who the fuck do you think you are? You stood up to mayor. Shut the fuck up. You think that if I, you think that if I could have been here, I wouldn't. I if I could have been here, I would have. I would have. I couldn't, Pete. I, you talked to me Monday morning, and I could hear the the sweat in your voice. Yeah, I I was the not sh- doing good. You could hear the sound of you and, shaking. And it didn't just end Monday. It went on through Monday. Tuesday, no, no throwing up, but you know how the whole thing goes if you had this virus, right? You're still, you're still sick. 
you'd still feel like shit. No pun intended to what the rest of this illness entails. Um, so you still got to get up and keep running to the bathroom. Anyways, I won't, I won't give you the details, all the dirty details of that. So yesterday, you know, I, I just needed a day to replenish. And Thursday, here we are. And I have to explain to the people why I haven't been here, one. And two, why I stood up the mayor. I didn't stand up the fucking mayor, okay? And I've, I've talked to some of the mayor's people. They sound like they understand. Look, I can understand. I guess I can understand if they don't, given the fact that they probably don't get anyone to cancel an appearance with the mayor ever. The problem is, this show is me, so I don't, it's not the Danny Picard show with, you know, we don't let Eric Doyle, who used to shop in skates here, fill in. Like, Tony isn't going to, I'm not going to let him fill in for the show. Like, it's just, it's just not going to happen. We all know I can't and, do and, it. And Pete, <laughs> you know, he doesn't like the sound of his voice. He edits his fucking voice out from time to time. I can't I, even get through a sentence. Um, And... Look, I, I just it's this is my show. You know, I built this. I got the mayor in. I want to talk to the mayor. I'm not gonna, I don't bring him in. He didn't come in here to talk to anybody else. So it's not like we can you do the show in some other fashion. We got to cancel it. We got to we got to tell him not to come in. Uh that's what we did. I I felt terrible because I come in here today and the boys got the bean the boys got Bean Town Athletics looking awfully sharp. Not that it doesn't look sharp in general. But you could tell this place was ready for the mayor to come in, right? <laughs> there's a white, there's a brand new white whiteboard outside the door <laughs> that says "Welcome to Beantown Athletics, Mayor Marty Walsh." And it's still up too, it's just to rub up, it in. Just to rub it in. And I felt, you know, I felt better today when I woke up and I came over here. And then you see that, and you look around, and you see how how nice they've made the place look. Again, not that it didn't look nice in the first place, but it, they they definitely cleaned it up to, for an appearance from the mayor and the only reason that appearance didn't happen is because of me it is on me nobody else but me uh you can blame me the mayor can blame me the listeners can blame me the people here at Beantown Athletics can blame me and I I guess could blame myself I would rather blame the person who I caught this stomach virus from I do not know who that is I will tell you though that people in my circle or that I you know have been with the last couple weeks are starting to get hit with the virus, too. Again, not that I'm rooting for people to be sick, but at least it tells you that, well, it's something that's going around and not something that uh, you have to be too overly concerned with. Because I won't lie, as somebody who doesn't throw up ever, I was pretty fucking concerned as to what was going on in my body. Now, I'm still hurting a little bit. Uh, I've still got some pain, right? And uh, this is still a violent gentleman Thursday. So we're going to battle on like the violent gentleman that we are. And wow, I missed three days. And um, a lot has happened, huh, Pete, in the last three days? Now, Red Sox, Major League Baseball, in, in the last three days, the biggest story of my life has been Major League Baseball beginning, regular season getting going. And I guess locally, uh, for, the lo- for the locals that listen here in Boston, the Boston Red Sox, they lose last night 4-2, to a tough one in Philly. But the opening day, they showed you their power. Hanley Ramirez, a couple homers. Dustin Pedroia, a couple homers. Uh, Mookie Betts with the home run. They showed you Clay Buckholtz had some damn good stuff. And the way he closed out his seven innings in that one, right? It was Buckholtz in the way, not, not his nine strikeouts, to one walk and no runs. 
and an opening day win, 8 nothing win over the Phillies. I think it was the way he finished it out. His last pitch of his outing was a swing and miss strikeout to a lefty on a 92-mile-per-hour fastball that was tailing off to the right that had some of the nastiest movement you've seen from a Clay Buckholtz fastball in a long time. And when I say in a long time, I mean the beginning of um, the beginning of 2013, right? When this guy was a stud, 14-1, and one, ERA under two, was going to begin was going to start for the American League in the All-Star game and then got hurt. And it's been downhill since for the kid. Last year was terrible for him. Uh, We've gone into this argument here in Boston about who's the ace of this rotation. Can Clay Buckholtz take that and run with it? Well, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty unrealistic to think that you can have the downfall you had be the number five starter in a rotation and all of a sudden jump to be in the team's opening day starter the next year while not doing anything to really deserve that and at the same time be called an ace and become an ace that season. It's, it, 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 seems pretty, it seems pretty crazy to think he could actually do that. I will, and I'm not going to proclaim that Clay Buckholtz is going to be this dominant pitcher all season long. I, I'm sort of in wait-and-see mode with this entire rotation. But here's what I know. What I saw in his first start, was some of the best Clay Buckholtz movement on a fastball that I've seen in a long time. In a, in a long, long time. At times, he had a lot of great movement on that changeup down and away to lefties. Uh, he had a nice little curveball at times. Buckholtz are nine strikeouts. We can talk about the offense, but we knew they were going to be a much improved offense, right? I think the storyline to me was Buckholtz taking the ball, going up against Cole Hamels in that one on opening day, and uh, coming out and giving us a performance like that. That was some exciting stuff. Now, me, I, w- I had to watch it yesterday, right? I had to watch it yesterday because I was in bed from Sunday night up through Tuesday night, so I wasn't able to see anything. Um, so I had to catch up. And, and while I've been gone, not only did I catch up on that, but then you get, you know, you fast forward to, you fast forward to real time. But before you fast forward to real time, just a couple other things I need to touch on just quickly. Um, Duke defeated Wisconsin in the national championship game. I was shocked it wasn't Kentucky, Michigan State, Wisconsin. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't David Goliath, Wisconsin beating them. But as I said on WEI over the weekend, you look, it wasn't David versus Goliath because Wisconsin was a one seed, right? It wasn't like they were some 8, 9, 10 seed sneaking in. But make no mistake about it, Wisconsin, even as a one seed, while, you know, they were no David in a David versus Goliath, they absolutely slayed the beast. They did. And you got to give them credit for that. Now, when they did that, I never thought that they were going to lose to Duke. I love Okafor. I think that if any team in the NBA who has the number one pick, if they do not take Okafor, you should get fired. You should be fired. You have to take Okafor number one overall. You have to. There's some of the comparisons that you hear, and it's, it's hilarious too, because now the NBA analyst, and by the way, seven Kentucky players are going to go to the NBA. I know Okafor's from Duke, but I got to mention that while I'm just sort of quickly wrapping up the college basketball season. 
Duke wins a national championship. Coach K with, what, his fifth championship. And, yeah, he puts in the kid Grayson. I mean, if you had told me that two of Duke's best players were going to be on the bench in foul trouble late in this game, and Duke was still going to come out and win while Wisconsin had a nine-point lead, I would have told you you're nuts. They did. you got to give credit. A lot of coaching on that, too. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a coaching move. And Coach K coached him up. Duke wins. But now we're looking at the NBA and the draft and who's going, who's not. Okaf is going to go. I don't even know that if he's if he's officially said it or not yet, but are we really expecting him to stay? Please. I don't care how many Kentucky players he sees going. You know, I, it doesn't matter. You win a championship. Um, you, I think you should go number one overall. You got to go to the NBA. Go get your money, kid. And I think he will. Uh, and when he does, now the NBA analysts, you know, they're putting, like, they're trying to tell us uh, comparisons to current NBA players. And, you know, some of the comparisons I'm hearing, Okafor to Al Jefferson, I don't know. I mean, where do you come up with that? Because because you think some of his movement down in the, in the paint, I think Okafor is a much more explosive player than Al Jefferson. And I know we see him on two different levels, so at the same time, given the two different levels, it seems to be impossible to even compare the two based on what they've done at their, you know, respective, in their respective leagues, which is the NCAA or the or pro. But Okafor, to me, you got to take him number one overall. So the NBA analysts now, they're trying to drive comparisons. What And they hear this stuff from executives. They say, well, I talked to four NBA executives the other day that told me Jaleel Okafor's going to, he, he's going to come out to be Al Jefferson. They're going to have the same type of careers. You know who's telling you that? You know who's telling that NBA analyst that? An NBA executive that would like another NBA executive with a pick higher than them to actually believe that. To think, wow, I don't know that we want to take a pick this high on a guy who's going to be Al Jefferson. Maybe we shouldn't take Okafor. And they want Okafor to drop to them. That's all that is. So that's another reason why I don't buy into those, those comparisons at all. I don't. But... Uh, not while I was gone. The f- actually, the first thing I turned on the TV yesterday, the first thing I was ap- actually able to listen to and comprehend over the last couple days while the TV was on, because, you know, you're sick, the TV's on. But you got no fucking idea what's on it. Yeah, baseball? What? I need water. Water? Oh, I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> ah. And it's the same thing. The saltines, the ginger ale, the puking, I mean, you name it. I'm not going to give you all the dirty details, but it's ugly. That's how I felt. And uh, But the fir- one of the first things I was able to hear yesterday, turn the TV back on, actually listen to what people are saying. First thing was Jalen Rose asking, who would have predicted? I mean, who would have predicted the Golden State Warriors would have won the Pacific Division? And I'm sitting there going, these motherfuckers, I predicted it. I know you don't listen to me, Jalen. I don't blame you. But here's the deal. And it just goes, you know, I make my MLB predictions and people give me shit. Oh, predictions. I hear, if I hear another analyst, reporter, media member, fan, gambler, I, you know, I don't care what the fuck you are, right? If I hear someone else say this. 
Well, I'm not one for predictions, but <laughs> when it comes to Major League Baseball, that's what I was on. You know, I've been on, I've been on different shows. I've heard, I've had guests. I've heard other people, and I ask them, so what do you think is going to happen? A Major League Baseball season. You know, who do you take? Who do you got to win the AL East? How many over-under on wins? Red Sox, 86.5, over-under. So this is how they say, well, I'm not, much of, I'm not much of a prediction maker. I don't do the predictions, but I'm going to say they'll go over. Well, what is it? Do you make predictions or do you not? Because while you tell me you don't make predictions, you make a prediction. See, I, I want one answer there. I don't want, I don't usually make predictions, but I'll give you one anyways. No, 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 no. That's disingenuous. If you don't make predictions, stick to your guns. Don't be a coward. Don't, don't be a lie. Don't lie to you. Don't cheat yourself. Don't be a liar. You, you're lying to me right now. I don't, do you believe they'll be over? Or are you just trying to, and now you, you know, you're just doing this to entertain me? That's disrespectful. You're disrespecting me. Tell me, tell me the truth. Do you make predictions or you do, do you not? It's the most frustrating thing, and you hear them say it all the time. Well, I don't usually make predictions. But I'm going to say that the but I'm going to say that Tiger Woods today shoots uh, seven under in the in the Masters. He makes the cut, and then on Sunday he falls apart around hole number six. But I don't usually make predictions, but that's the way I think this thing's going to go out. What? So I don't understand that. Uh, but to answer Jalen Rose's question, did anybody think Golden State would win the Pacific? Yes, I did, and um, I made my NBA predictions, and. Uh, that's what I picked. I picked Golden State to win the division. So, um, take that, Jalen. This is a couple things that have happened since I've been gone. Major League Baseball season has begun. The Masters is currently underway. I'm back on this Thursday. Usually we do this in the morning. We're a little later in the afternoon today uh, on this violent gentleman Thursday. Now, tomorrow in studio, Ryan Whitney will join me once again, a regular on the show. And, um... We'll get to some Stanley Cup playoffs because we got NBA playoff race, Stanley Cup playoff race, Major League Baseball, the Masters is going on. Before I get into this Masters stuff and maybe dig a little bit deeper into what happened to the Red Sox last night and some of the storylines here in Major League Baseball a couple days in, um, you know, I, I, I have to say that the Bruins last night I, and now they play again tonight. So by the time you listen to today's, to today's podcast, they might already be underway in Florida. They got a couple games, Florida, in Florida, in Tampa Bay to close out the regular season. Two games left. And if the playoffs began today, the Bruins would be in 95 points, the final wild card spot, even though they have the same amount of points as Ottawa uh, for that final wild card spot. Uh, the total wins... This is how the tiebreaker goes. The first tiebreaker is the greatest number of games won, excluding games won in the shootout. So if you look at that, the Bruins have 37 of those wins, excluding the shootout, and the Senators have 35, excluding the shootout. So it looks like if the Bruins, you know, the Bruins will hold on here, but they, they got to win. I mean, they essentially control their own destiny. Now, there's, there's a way that they don't win and still get in. But if you're the bees, uh, I think that right now, after last night's game, 
you need to try and and figure this thing out. And for the people that want to look at last night's three nothing loss to the Capitals in DC, and they want to blame this on the coach for switching up the lines. Uh, look, there are certain lines I'd like to see together, but the bottom line is this: Milan Lucic shouldn't need to play on a line with Spuna and Pastanak to get his game going to to bury some of the chances he had last night. And also defensively, guys in their own zone with their heads up their ass. I've told you since day one, this team sucks defensively this year. They suck defensively. And you can hate that strategy all you want with the fact that under Claude Julien, the Bruins win hockey games with defense first. They create offense and odd man rushes through their defense. Right? You can argue with that philosophy all you want, but it works. You know, the Bruins could have put themselves in a situation last night where one goal could have tied it. Instead, you're down 3 nothing. You're a depleted group, and you're thinking, not only do we have to score one, we got to score three. And sometimes, with a team that's so bad defensively, I think, that struggles offensively so much, three-goal lead for another team can look like ten. Okay? So, let's say they didn't have those... De- you know, Dennis Seidenberg could figure out how to cover somebody out front. Or David Krejci uh, could maybe not... Uh, just float into the corner and leave a guy wide open drifting in the zone behind him. Leave a point man drifting in behind him. And let's say, all right, Capitals score that one goal that go- shot from the point, goes in off a of Trotman stick or whoever's stick it went off of, and they trail one nothing. It seems like a lot smaller hill to climb for a struggling offensive Bruins team than 3 nothing does. So, yes, the game does change. If you fix things defensively. And I got news for you. If you trail that game only by one nothing, maybe you get a bounce. Maybe you still have confidence. Maybe you get a bounce. Maybe you get a lucky goal. Right? Maybe you're not gripping the stick too tight. And you bury one of those chances. Because it, the, the uphill battle doesn't seem as uphill. When you know it's only one goal. And in that moment, you maybe get one in. And you can win a 2-1 game with solid defense. You can get back to that. Eh, just not this year's Bruins team. Just not this year's Bruins team. And I've told you that all along. So again, you lose 3 nothing. You see people, you know, arguing about goals, arguing about offense. It's not about that. I get that they struggle to score, but it's not about offense. This is about defense. This is a defense-first problem. And under Claude Julien and a Peter Shirelli-run team in which he shipped out one of their best fucking defensemen, you got a group that's injured, you got a group that's banged up, and you got a couple defensemen out there that are just so bad, I don't even know how they're in the NHL still. Um, and I'm not talking about Chara. Chara's hurt. And it looks like Seidenberg's still playing hurt. But this team's so bad defensively that I, I, I can't take them serious in a playoff series. I can't. I just can't do it. But all this, I'm driving in today, and I hear people complaining about Claude switching up the lines. You know what that is? You want to complain about Claude switching up the lines today? You know what that is? If that's your top story, right? You know what that is? That means you have fucking no clue. That means you have fucking nothing else to talk about with this team. Nothing. That means you have nothing to talk about. Absolutely nothing to talk about. So you go for the lines thing. Look. It's clear Claude's got to find some lines to work. So, uh, how do you find it? Do you find it at Restucia? Do you find it in the morning skate? No. 
you got to find something that clicks at some point in time. And when you're trying to find not just one goal, not just two goals, but now three goals because your fucking defense sucks, as a defensive coach, what do you got to do? You know, should he have had Talbot in the lineup? Yeah, I think so. Should Campbell be in the lineup? No, he shouldn't. But, I mean, uh, is that really where we're going? That's We, we just want to have that argument all the time? How about everybody else on the team? Finish and score. But to me, it goes back to defense. And at some point today, I hope, during these local radio stations with their fucking terrible Bruins talk, that they will take a step back and establish the fact that the Washington Capitals are a pretty damn good hockey team. And that Braden Holpe is an absolute beast. All right? I hope they acknowledge that. And that the Bruins just aren't that good this year. That, that, I mean, really, that's what it comes down to, right? I, I have a good friend in the business, former colleague of mine, Tom E. Curran, uh, who's one of the best in the biz. And I, he, you know, I, I used to, he used to tell me all the time. You know, I used to talk all these Patriots stories with him, NFL stuff. And he used to tell me the same thing. He said, Danny, you tell me what it is, and I'll tell you what it means. You tell me, so I'm going to flip the switch on everybody listening that is thinking about this Stanley Cup playoff race. And again, we'll have Ryan Whitney in here, Ryan Whitney tomorrow in studio on Friday's podcast. You tell me what happened last night in the Bruins game, I'll tell you what it means. Well, the Capitals, they shut out the Bruins 3-0. Braden Holpe stood on his head. You know what that means? That means the Capitals are one of the best teams in the East and the Bruins aren't. As simple as that might be, we got to start giving the Capitals credit. I told you weeks ago, Pete, I said it in the show, I'm, I'd be scared of the Capitals if I'm a team in the East that's a top dog like the Rangers, that's a top dog like Montreal, because here comes Washington. It was, I think, two weeks ago that the Capitals were down and out, and we were just talking about the Bruins and the Panthers and the, and the Ottawa Senators, right? That was it. We were actually just looking at Detroit as well to see if they could get in. Um, and by the way, Detroit, you know, I mean, they still have two games to play. They only have 97 points, but the Washington Capitals with their goaltending, with their defense, and with one of the best offensive players in the world, who in my opinion is just waiting to have a breakout year in the playoffs, not breakout year in general. We know what the guy's done. He had his sixth 50 goal season this year in the regular season, but we're waiting on him to do it in the playoffs. And take the team on his back offensively on a team that's got a damn good defense. And I think if he stays hot, the best goaltender in the tournament. The best goaltender in the goddamn fucking tournament. And Braden Holpe. He looked like a beast last night. He's a beast. I told you a few weeks ago. This looks like a good team. You and Billy Jaffe. And Billy Jaffe. Talked about that in the studio. They're a dangerous club. But if you listen to Boston Sports Radio today, right? I listened to 10 minutes. You would have thought the Bruins lost to the Buffalo Sabres last night. You, you, you know what I mean? You would have thought the Sabres brought in a backup goalie to shut out the Bruins at the Garden last night. Instead, the Capitals, um, that you know, that was not the case. Not to mention, Braden Holpe has had the Bruins number for yeah, far too long. But not only that, he's got everybody's number. I know. He's, he's... I, I mean, this season. I mean, this guy is a shutout machine. So, look, Capitals are good. Stop giving him credit. How's that? 
How about that for analysis? Start giving the better team and one of the best teams in the East some fucking credit. That's where I'm going with that. Celtics, they won last night. And a big win. Isaiah Thomas, 34 points. Hey, Celtics are going to get in, it looks like. Right now, if the playoffs began today in the NBA, Celtics are the seven seed. Seven seed. Now, Indiana's still there. Miami is still there. Charlotte, I guess you could say, is still hanging around. And the Celtics do, if you look at their schedule, they got back-to-backs against Cleveland, at Cleveland, and then against Cleveland. And they got Toronto, Milwaukee. Uh, I know that Cleveland, you know, what can they gain right now? I don't think they're going to move from that two seed. So I, I don't think it's, I don't think they can, right? I don't think they can move from that two seed. So maybe they're in a situation where they rest some guys. I think Cleveland should be in a situation where they try to go in hot, try to go in on a roll. That's what I think should happen. But uh, we'll see what happens. But the Celtics right now, that's a big win for them last night. against. By the way, against the Pistons team with Monroe, Drummond, and they add Reggie Jackson, I think if they keep Monroe around in Detroit, I think the Pistons with that trio is going to be a very good basketball team next year. Uh, just let those guys play together for a little bit longer. Uh, but the Celtics had a big night last night. Isaiah Thomas with a big night. Again, 34 points, season-high 34 points for him. The Celtics win. They move on, as you mentioned. Some tough games now, though, against Cleveland. Uh, but, hey, I could I could see them beating, winning one of those games. I can see them beating Milwaukee. And I could see them beating Toronto. Now, I don't see them going into the playoffs. And if, you know, let's say... Let's say the Celtics got into the playoffs and found themselves in a series with the Raptors. Um, they're not going to win that series. But one game in the regular season with more on the line for the Celtics than the Raptors? I could see the Celtics pulling that off. They're an exciting team right now with their backs against the wall. So uh, Selinger is... Is, um, you know, they're trying to get him in the mix, I guess. That Sollinger situation is weird, but the Sollinger situation shows me that, you know, when Jared Sollinger, originally, when they diagnosed him with this injury, originally, what they said to themselves was, all right, maybe it's not season-ending, so to speak, but we're going to make it that because we don't think this team's going anywhere. We're going to trade Rondo. We're going to trade Green. And uh, we're probably going to lose some games, and that'll put us down and give us a better draft pick. Um, so, you know, uh, we'll, we'll just, we'll save Selinger. And, and I don't, look, I don't want to use the word tank, because as coaches and players, you certainly never use that word and never think that way. But as a front office that might have a say in certain decisions on the roster, even when it comes to guys who are injured or maybe not as injured as they make it out to be, I do think the word tank, uh, yeah, it might not be in their vocabulary specifically as tank, but the idea of tanking is sort of in their minds. And and now Selinger's like, well, I wasn't expecting to come back. Well, that's because I think the whole organization, Celtics organization, is pleasantly surprised that they have a team right now that finds himself in seventh place in the Eastern Conference with four regular season season games left to play. Pleasantly surprised. So at this point, they say, well, Sully, I mean, what do you think? Think we should work you back in? And I think they say, yeah, why not? 
let's we might as well at this point, right? Once you get in, try to win. So I think we're going to have a couple exciting weeks with the Celtics team. Uh, the Bruins will wait and see if they do get in. I still think the Bruins will get in as well. Right now, you want my uh, take? I think Bruins and Celtics get in. Most of, for, the, for the most part, I've thought the Bruins would always get in, even if they backed into the tournament. Celtics, eh, I didn't think so, but I, Celtics, I don't know. I, just, I have a feeling they're going to split with Cleveland, and I, I have a feeling that they could win beat Toronto and Milwaukee I got in, in those games with more on the line, I think, for the Celtics than those two. But uh, we'll wait and see how that plays out. Just getting caught up in what's gone down since I've been out the last couple days with an illness. The Masters is currently going on. And how I'm looking up, the first thing I see right now, Ernie Els. Ernie Els, six under? What's he, what's P, what is Ernie Els through at six under right now? Ernie Els is in the lead? At six under? Yeah, he's a few held. Through 15. Through 15, yep. Tied with Jordan Spieth, who Spieth? Pete, I told you was going to win yeah, this tournament. I was going to say that. I told That's you Spieth was going to win. Spieth, he's going to win. I, Spieth is tied with Els at six under. Um, let's see here. What do we got? Hoffman at five under. He, his day's finished. Justin Rose, his day's finished at five under. Um, just trying to find some other people. Dustin Johnson. He's done for the day at two under. Phil Mickelson done for the day at two under. Uh, let's see here. Sergio Garcia, two under through nine. Jason Day, two under through nine. Um, you know who we're trying to find. The big dogs, Bubba Watson, couple green jackets, one under, done for the day. Rory McIlroy, one under. He is done for the day. Um, let's see here. And you know, you know who I'm looking for. You know who I'm looking for. And I already saw him make you gotta keep an scrolling. unbelievable <laughs> shot. I've already seen him make an unbelievable shot today. Uh, let's see here. Um, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. I must have missed him. I must have missed him. He's so he, one under after he's, nine. He's one under. Yep. After, oh, I'm, so I'm sorry. I, one over after nine. So, yeah. No. One over after nine. One yep. over after nine. Tiger Woods. Yep. That's the guy. Tiger Woods is one over after nine. One over after nine. And when I see that, I think, okay, tied for 41, tied for 41st. The lead is at six under. Uh, and Ernie Els and Jordan Spieth, by the time they're done, you know, this could be, Spieth could be 10 under by the time the day's over. So that won't look good for Tiger Woods to win the tournament, but to stay competitive at one over, if we're looking for Tiger to make the cut, to be involved on Saturday and Sunday, then one over through nine isn't bad. He can obviously improve on that score. He's, you know, midway through. You missed it uh, on 13, Spieth. Yeah. Shanked one into the woods. Oh, did he? Yeah. He'll recover. But you know what happened? He'll recover. Hit a tree and bounced right into the fairway. No kidding. Oh, yeah. That's his day. Tiger Woods, That's I saw him day. earlier on seven. Saved par. He was behind a tree. If, if Tiger Woods can somehow make a run, I'm telling you right now, they'll be talking about that shot on day one, on Thursday at Augusta, from behind a tree. He put it to the left of a tree, and come, he ends up on the green. It was an amazing shot. The Tiger Woods story is amazing because they got his press conference the other day, and he played in the Pot 3 tournament yesterday, had his, his littles, as he called them, his two kids with him. Um, and, and you listen to his press conference and he seemed like a different guy. He seemed like a guy that was finally 
except in the fact that he was just going to have fun with this. And I know what he told us about his swing. And I know what he told us, and he broke it down, how he had two different swing patterns, and, you know, he needed to find the right one, and he couldn't fix it during a tournament, and that's why he was messing up and he couldn't chip. Um, and Tiger Woods now through 10. He has one over. He just pawed the 10th. You know, he can tell us all he wants about that. But what, here's how I analyze Tiger Woods. Listen to him talk. See him take part in the part three tournament with his kids. Smiling, having fun. Tiger Woods has decided to have fun. And that might seem like foolish golf analysis, but these guys will be the first to tell you this is a mental game. And anybody who's ever gone out, I don't care whether you've gone to the driving range, I don't care whether you, you know, went to a pitching putt or whether you're just going to play the back nine at Franklin Park on Tuesday night after work, it doesn't matter. You know, all great strategies, by the way, to get a little golf in. Um, you know, as well as they do, the pros, that this is a mental game more than anything else. And I get that messing up your swing mentally can affect you. I understand that. But Tiger Woods, let's face it, his career and the things that have happened to him over the course of the last couple of years, on top of just being terrible the last couple of tournaments, there's been a lot going on in his life. And when you see him on the course previously, and when you saw his press conferences, and you heard him talk, and you saw his, uh, you know, just his body language, this was a guy that mentally was not in a good place. Whether it was things going on outside of golf or not, I don't care, he wasn't happy. He was not, this guy was not happy playing golf. And I think when you see him playing in the pot three, the, the, to me, this is my personal opinion. I've never talked to Tiger Woods. I've never been in the same fucking room as the guy. But my opinion, just from what I see, body language, hear him talk, see him in the pot three with his kids, he is he's embracing this. You know why? Because I think he understands that even though, he, you know, even though he's not the best in them anymore and he's not going to be the favorite to win any, every tournament, right? He wasn't close. The odds of him winning the Masters, what, you'd never seen anything like it. They just weren't what it usually is. He's not the favorite to win these tournaments like he used to be. He's not the best in the world or one of the best in the world anymore like he used to be. But I think he understands that even though that's the case, this this thing doesn't go on forever. And you don't you don't get you don't get to relive this. So when you can accept that you've had some struggles. And also accept that, hey, I've struggled, but everything's going to be all right. I'm still a professional golfer, and I need to stop being, you know, such. I need, to, I need to go out there and have fun. I need to enjoy this. I need to embrace this because this doesn't last forever. I won't be able to do this forever. And especially when it comes to Augusta. And especially when it, when it comes to the Masters. You don't get to play in this tournament forever. And he knows it's a special tournament. And when you watch the beginning of the part three and you see Jack Nicholas, right? And you see Arnold Palmer. You see these guys. These are legends. These are living legends. 
and you see them joking around, and you see them having a ball at the first tee at the par three. You know what you say to yourself? At least I did. I say, Tiger Woods must look at that and say, hey, one day I want that to be me. You know, one day I want that to be me. The legend that's having fun at Augusta. I want that to be me. And that doesn't mean that Tiger Woods has to come out and win the Masters this weekend. That doesn't mean Tiger Woods has to come out and and win another tournament in his entire career. But let's face it, Tiger Woods, if he ended his career today, is a legend. But if he ended his career today, based on all the things that have happened and the and and just the, the failures that have gone on with it and how miserable he looks out there, that's not a good look to end his career. Tiger Woods doesn't want to end his career. But he also he also doesn't want to just go out there and suck. So I think what he's doing is he's told himself, let's have fun. Let's embrace this. And with regards to the Masters Legends, if I keep playing and I embrace it and I have fun, one day I'm going to be there. One day I'm going to be joking with people. And one day they're going to look at me like they look at some of the other legends in the game. And I think he sees that. And I think he wants to be looked at it looked that way. But right now I also think he sees an opinion from people in the public. You know, we don't look at Tiger Woods like we look at the other legends in golf. Do we? No. But he is a legend, right? I mean, Pete, you, what do you think? Tiger Woods called it a career right now. Go, I mean, he's a legend, right? I mean, what? How else? How else do you put it? He is, but he doesn't. There's just there's that something there that you wouldn't treat him the same way. I think that means something to him, and I think you see a smile on his face now because I think he understands that. But he understands that, you know, you don't get to do this forever. And he's out there at the par three having a blast, having his kids. Um, I think what that is, is him embracing the fact that mentally, this is a mental game, and you need to, ha- you need to start having fun doing this again. And if you don't, then this, this whole, like I mentioned, legend status thing is going to be a little weird when your career is all said and done, right? Tiger Woods loves the game, but it's time to start having fun doing it again. And uh, I, I honestly think that's the biggest. He can talk about swing patterns all he wants. I think he's just back to, back to having fun. Watch him now throw a club into the woods as I'm saying that, throwing f bombs. Imagine he didn't, but Tiger. imagine if he did. And he, that's how I envi- that's how I see the whole Tiger Woods situation. Speeth about to bury another birdie right here. I think Speeth could end this first day he's got like a two foot putt at for a ten birdie. under. He could. So, he, I think he's going to win it. We'll, we'll break day one down in its entirety tomorrow. Ryan Whitney will join me in studio. Hey, I'm out of breath because guess what? Guess what? I've been sick for three days, sick as a fucking dog, and um, not sick enough, though. Not sick enough to ignore the Rick Porcello contract. Not sick enough to ignore the Rick Porcello contract. You want my thoughts on the Rick Porcello contract. Let me give you my thoughts on the Rick Porcello contract before before he hung a slider to Jeff Francois in the sixth inning last night in Philly. All right? Here are my thoughts 
on the Rick Porcello contract as of um let's let's just say yesterday morning. Yesterday afternoon. My thoughts. The Red Sox giving him a four year, eighty two and a half million dollar extension, which comes out to that comes out to what, twenty point six mil or something like that. Right? Either way, let's say 20 mil. And you add the year that he got this year, 12 and a half mil, that's a total of five years, 95 mil, which comes out to 19 mil per season. That's the way I'm looking at this thing. It is. That's the way I'm going to look at it. As a five-year, $95 million deal, which comes out to 19 mil per season. We'll round it up and say that the Red Sox are going to pay Rick Porcello $20 million a season. That's that's just what we'll say just for the sake of the argument and putting a number on it and, and putting a value on a pitcher. When you say a pitcher is a $20 million pitcher, what I think of is I think of a top dog pitcher. We all like to call him an ace. I think of somebody who you don't want to play. I think of somebody that when he's on the mound, you know it's gonna you're in for a tough night. Um, and I certainly think that without question... He is someone that is your number one go-to dominant shutdown starter. When I say shutdown, I mean when the team's in a funk. This guy is going to be out there on that mound, and he's going to stop any bleeding, and it's almost going to be guaranteed that he does just that. An ace, a top dog, whatever you want to say. Dominant pitcher, $20 million guy. That's the $20 million, that, that's the, that number goes to those guys. Is Rick Porcello worth $20 million a season? Is he? Well, I'll say this. The Red Sox overpaid Rick Porcello. They overpaid him. They overpaid him. There's no... I don't even think there's an argument for it. The Red Sox overpaid Rick Porcello. But, I'm okay with it. See, I wrote a column in the Boston Metro that you can read tomorrow, every Friday. And here's my lead. I'll read you my lead. I'll read you the whole fucking story, but I won't do that. Uh, Here's my lead. To get what you want or to keep what you have, sometimes you need to overpay. Now, and I'm not reading the story anymore. That was just the one lead. Here's here's my take. Here's where I stand on that. Rick Porcello signed a one-year deal. He's 26 years old. Is he an ace? No. Is he a dominant guy? No. What he gave us last night in Philly was pretty much what I expected. Six innings, six hits, three runs, two walks, four strikeouts, 101 pitches. Picks up the loss. He let a slider hang to Frank Corr with two runners on in the sixth. That broke a scoreless game. Open and gave the Phillies a 3 to nothing lead. Um, it was a meatball. But you know what? It, it's sort of what I expect. I expect Porcello to go out to be a number three guy in your rotation, to give you six innings, six allow six hits, anywhere from really six to ten, three, four runs a game, uh, two, two to four walks a game, uh, I don't know, anywhere from two to five strikeouts, 100 pitches maybe, and he's going to hang a couple. You know, look, he's got a sink and fastball. He's going to leave a couple of those upstairs. And they're not overpowering to the point where they're swinging missed pitches. They're not. So when he makes those mistakes, I guess you just hope, you know, look, you know he's making them every game. 
But I guess you hope that a guy like Frank Cora, or anybody really, doesn't make him pay for it. Well, Frank Cora made him pay. But, for, but, but look, Porcello gave me and gave us what I expected him to give us last night. A good outing. Quality start, we call it, right? That's what he is. That's what Porcello is. Now, some nights, they won't make him pay. Their eyes will light up. Their mouths will be watering at that slider over the middle, that hanging slider, and they'll pop it up, and they'll get under it. They'll try to do too much with it. They'll try to kill it to the point maybe even they miss it. They won't make him pay for the mistake, and he'll get out of a jam, and he'll get a couple wins out of it, out of those pitches being missed. He will. Um, but to 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 keep a twenty six year old starter, to keep him around till he's thirty, sometimes you gotta overpay, and the Red Sox certainly overpaid. But they overpaid in the right situation. Now, if Porcello was 29, 30 years old, and they gave him a four-year extension at 20 million a year before proving himself, I'd say, what are you, nuts? Now, look, Porcello needs to, there's upside here. He needs to prove himself. Really. Um, but, but he is, look, there is upside with him. There's no question about it. There's upside with Rick Porcello. So he can improve. But when you look at his career, when you look at his career, he has a career ERA of 4.30 while averaging 26 starts a season in each of his first six seasons. In the playoffs, he's 0-2 with a 4.41 ERA in eight postseason appearances. Two of those are starts, by the way, on some pretty good Detroit Tigers teams. Rick Porcello is only 26. But it seems like he's been in the league for 15 years. You call him a vet. You call him a veteran. He's a veteran on this Red Sox staff. Does he have more the Red Sox hope he can prove and improve in his game? Yes. Is there time for him to do that? Absolutely. He's only 26. Do you want him to stick around here to see if he can make those improvements? No question about it. If you went out, you traded for him, you have him here, yes, do it. In order to do that, though, because let's say he pitches this one-year contract year. You look at the numbers, I don't know, he could end up with 14 wins. Could end up, he could end up with 14 wins and an ERA of four. You know what? That's going to get him a long-term deal in the market. Probably longer than a four-year extension. He's going to get seven years somewhere. He does that. I'm telling you right now. Being only 27 years old next year, that's a, that seems to be, to me, a very rare age to reach free agency, 27. You'd have him, let's say you gave him a, a seven-year deal next year if he was a free agent. You'd have him 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33. You give him a seven-year deal, he's going to be 33 years old at the end of that. You might be tempted to give him an eighth year and say, hey, he, you know, we'll keep him at 34. Eight-year deal? You think the Red Sox are going to give him an eight-year deal or want to? No way. Somebody else will, though. And you'll lose him after one year. But you'd rather see him make those improvements under your organization, in your rotation. So what do you do? You overpay him now. You overpay him. But in Major League Baseball, with no salary cap, and with the Red Sox being a big market club, I have no problem overpaying someone who's 26 years old 
and still has upside and is good enough to help your team win. I have no problem with overpaying. They give Porcello this $82.5 million extension, 95 mil over five years. Comes out to 19 mil a season beginning this year for five years. What do they have to do? They have to cut jobs in Yaki way? Is it, does it prevent them from making another move down the road to improve the team? No way. No fucking way. And it won't. It can't and it won't. So I'm okay with it. Are they overpaying them? Of course they are. Of course they're overpaying them. I just read you the numbers. You know the guys that are making 20 mil in Major League Baseball or over that? Rick Porcello isn't in that league. Now, the Red Sox will agree to that now, but they might finish that statement by saying, yet. Now, I don't project that. Do I think he can improve? Sure. Last year was the best year of his career. He improved last year. So, clearly, he's making improvements. He's only 26. You saw last night that sinking fastball's good, had some good movement at 90 to 92. Right? He had a nice little curveball for himself in there. Um, he's going to get some ground balls. I, I, look, Porcello's going to be a fine pitcher for this Red Sox team. And he's going to do a lot of good things. But you want him here doing a lot of good things for more than just one season. Unfortunately for you, he's under a one-year contract. And you know he's going to do good things this season. And he's probably going to get a seven, eight-year deal next year. Given the way contracts are given out to pitchers. And I think that other GMs' eyes would light up when they see a 27, he'll be 27 next year, 27-year-old kid out in the market. I think their eyes are going to light up. And they're going to give him, I mean, the money might not be huge. It's not going to be $30 million a season like Lester. It might even be $20 mil, But it's going to be seven, eight years. It's not going to be a four-year extension. So in that sense, you could say the Red Sox made out. I'm okay with overpaying. Uh, I think with pitching and baseball, you you don't overpay with money. You overpay with years. And if you're telling me that you're going to give Rick Porcello when you combine the four-year extension with the one-year deal he has now and the 12-and-a-half he has now this season, when you combine that, it comes out to a five-year contract. You're telling me you can get a 26-year-old, still improving Rick Porcello on a five-year contract I, and tell me you're only paying him 19, 20 mil, I'd say, absolutely, sign me up. Are we overpaying? Yes. Am I willing to do it? Absolutely. Why? Because there's no salary cap. Also, because we can afford it, and it won't affect us to add even more down the road. Well, I will, you will never hear me sitting here complaining about the Red Sox spending money. I won't do it then. I wouldn't do it then. I certainly won't do it now. Overpaid? Is Porcello overpaid? Of course he is. But is it a good move? Yes. I believe it is. Sometimes. Because sometimes, as you'll read in tomorrow's Boston Metro, as I explain to you, to get what you want, and in this situation, to keep what you want, sometimes you need to overpay. I'm here five days a week. DannyPicard.com. Also, subscribe on iTunes. If you don't have an iPhone, you can subscribe on Stitcher. Any phone or device or tablet you have, you can get on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com and follow the Danny Picard Show. As I mentioned, Ryan Whitney in studio with me tomorrow. Uh, We will talk about, hey, the Frozen Four is this weekend. I'm not that jacked up about it, to be honest. Um, But we'll talk about it. 
It's in Boston. Yeah. Major League Baseball continues. The Red Sox tonight, Justin Masterson on the mound. And the Masters continues, I'm telling you. Speed is going to win it. We'll keep an eye on Tiger, McElroy, Mickelson, uh, Bubba. We'll keep an eye on all these guys. Even Ernie Els. How about Ernie Els? See you tomorrow.